Hello, it is Wednesday, December 23rd. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is another episode of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. And the topics for today are Anthony Pettis signs with PFL, and I like it. I like it for Pettis. I like it for the PFL, and I like it for other fighters that are fighting out their UFC deals. Tony Ferguson lashes out at his cornerman. Maybe as a point, maybe he needs to tighten things up a little bit and actually get coaches in his camp. Uh, Sean O'Malley might be the worst loser in recent memory as far as UFC fighters go. And come on now, someone named Dana White, the sportsman of the year. Come on, that's not even, no, come on now. It didn't take Anthony Pettis long to sign a, a new deal. And today it was announced that he signed with Professional Fighters League and he's going to compete in the lightweight division. That's per Ariel Helwani of ESPN. And I think the uh, I think that's a good a good plan. I think it's a great idea for Pettis. And I hope more fighters follow in his footsteps and kind of bet on themselves, especially more veteran fighters in the UFC that might get uh, released over this over this um, purge of the roster. I think it's a good deal for PFL. It gets it gets the um, recognizable names on there, and if those folks last until the finals, well, then they pick up the the viewership there and but you flip the coin onto the other side and then you see you know if a UFC fighter loses and well then you have a a uh, a fight to market off the winner so it's not uh it's a it's a win-win here and um i think if the opportunity is there for other fighters UFC fighters to to sign with PFL, then I think they should. You know, bet on yourself. You know there's a possibility of a million dollars out there. So why not chase that instead of just hanging around the UFC or Bellator and, and just trying to find a path to the title and, and there might not be matchmaking in your favor, the pay might be lower, all these things. So bet on yourself and if you don't, make that million well you're you're only going to be tied into that deal probably for a year then and then you can go or less if you lose i would i would guess and then you can go and search for another deal so i don't i don't really see a too too much of a, a of a downside on this unless you have a damaged confidence or you think that you're not going to win the PFL uh, tournament but i don't think you would find anyone that's fighting professionally that says, I don't think I'm going to win that. You know, it takes a certain amount of confidence just to get in the cage. So that confidence allows you to think that you can, you can beat anyone on any given day. So I really like this. Um, what is, what's I find interesting about this, this Pettis deal is that it seems as if, there were really two two options here. One was that he was released by the UFC immediately after his after his fight at UFC Vegas 17, and the agreement was, we're going to release you fully, and we're going to waive our matching uh, matching rights, and we're not going to have the exclusive 30 day negotiation period. And that's how the contracts are written, more or less, is that when a fighter 
fights out their contract. They get a, the UFC gets 30 days to negotiate ex- exclusively with that fighter. And then they go into a period of quote unquote free agency where they can get offers from other um, promotions. And I think that's 90 days. And then after that, the UFC has a right to match in another certain amount of days. So the, the contracts are worded and so the fighters are going to be out for a, a, a fair period of time if they don't sign a deal with the UFC before they reach free agency. And don't think that that's not designed to get them to sign back with the UFC earlier than than they, than they should have to. So Pettis either was released outright and all those things were agreed to or... I don't know what the other or is really. There was a mutual agreement. Um, I don't see that many fighters are going to get that treatment from the UFC. I hope the UFC has plans to do this for for everyone it's going to release. Because they are, I'm sorry, for anyone that's fighting out their contract and looking to sign, especially now when it would benefit both the UFC and the fighters to get a big contract like uh, quote unquote, big contract like Pettis is off the books. So it'll be interesting to see if fighters uh, fight out their deals in the coming months or in January to maybe avoid, uh, I'm sorry, maybe to see if they can sign with PFL, but we'll see. But Pettis got a good deal. He has timing was on his side and I really like what he's doing here. And like I said, I hope the UFC works this out. And for fighters that are fighting out their deals at this point, and it's a mutual benefit for the, for the UFC and the fighters to see what can, what can, what can happen. And if they can, excuse me, if they can get on with uh, PFL. Tony Ferguson is pretty upset with his corners. And, um, I don't really know if he has a right to be here because if you watched UFC 256, you saw or heard the UFC commentary team say on multiple occasions that Ferguson is running his camps. He doesn't really have coaches per se. There's no team. It's what Ferguson wants to do when Ferguson wants to do it. And that has its benefits in that if, Ferguson's not feeling up to something. He can train something different that day. He can take a day off and there's no one to really answer to. The bad side of that is that there's no one really to answer to. So if your corners are just there to, as more or less support crew, more than teammates or coaches, well, then that's a problem. Then you're still in charge. And you will always be in charge. And, and that's when you get issues with, with your corner. And here's what happened um, according to Ferguson. And he posted this on Instagram. Um, so here's what it, he said. Make sure your crew has all the tools they need to get the job done right during fight week. Make sure cornermen know who is appointed captain corner before fight. Wait, here we go. How about middle of... Uh, UFC 256 between first round, first and second round, trying to figure out why our appointed cornerman wasn't there 
with you talking game plans from camp, WTF, backstage, one of my trusted cornermen lied to the others and said I said it was okay for them to take charge when I was getting changed. Completely opposite what my request was earlier to the whole team. This person was barely there at all pre and during fight week, hadn't reviewed game plans, etc. so it didn't make sense. As a team, it was noted, the guy basically bullied the others, bullied the others with seniority behind the scenes and took position when UFC asked my team who was in charge. They mic'd him up and there it went. The, that person was such a good coach, they forgot to bring me water in between rounds. Thanks, Tommy, for getting it to me. Uh, hashtag learning experiences, hashtag seasons beatings crew. Corners never forget the basics. Ice, water, directions, period. Champ. Inside and outside the octagon, I will not tolerate ego. That's grounds for expulsion from the academy. There is no I and team. That person's trainer, coach, coach position is available to, to his deserving person. Teammate, teamwork makes the dream work. DM and email resume. Focus, champ shits only. Champ shit only. The great outdoors. Clear the mechanism. Back to work. So that should have never happened. And I think a lot of the reason it did happen is because there's it seems like there's some kind of chaos in Ferguson's team and that shouldn't happen and so I don't know how this was communicated that the, that that the one uh, corner was supposed to be in charge and the other corner got to take over but if Ferguson gathered everyone and said to everyone that hey this is your roles for the fight then that's the rules for the fight. And, and this guy should have been let go. But I think Ferguson also needs to institute a a better team kind of environment around himself so these things don't happen. Because um, if you're... I don't like the idea of a of a fighter running his own camp. It, it just seems a little, a little too unfocused and, and problems can occur if that fighter is missing something that one of the corners or the coaches picks up, well, then that never gets trained, that never gets worked on. Um, the coaches should watch the tape and, and specify the training and the uh, the expectations and, and what to do if there is an issue inside the octagon. And that didn't happen. And some of that's on Ferguson, but then some of that's on um, this corner that took over as well. So uh, for a fighter who is that high up in the rankings, I, I just think that Ferguson, especially now, might need more structure. But I don't know. Uh, but he, he, he has, he's struggled here now as of late, and something needs to change, and maybe that's what needs to change. So we'll see how this goes. But yeah, the, the whole thing didn't sit well. It seems like, I don't think, if it's true, I don't think Ferguson's blaming, so much blaming, but I think a lot of it extends from the way Ferguson trains him and from his camps um speaking of losing and maybe assigning blame and making excuses there's no question that sean o'malley is doing that and has been doing that since he lost to cheeto vera at, at ufc 252 so o'malley can deny that vera hurt him with the with the low kick but Vera hurt him with a low kick. Now, it's a legit like technique, and it hurt uh, O'Malley because it allegedly, from talking, from what he's saying, it, he hit him on a nerve, and he his foot went numb, and all this other stuff. Well, then, it 
and then O'Malley refuses to give the win to Vera. But let's look at this and don't look too too long or hard. Is that the technique that hurt that hurt O'Malley was administered by Vera. Therefore, Vera hurt O'Malley. Therefore, Vera finished the fight after the, that he hurt him after he hurt him and won the fight. There's no way that anyone that this isn't that this is a controversy. He kicked him, hurt him, numbed his foot, and then he finished him. So the idea that O'Malley didn't lose is a joke, and he can keep talking about it all he wants, but it's on his record, and anyone that watches the, the, the fight with an unbiased eye will see that he lost and why he lost. But he uh, said on his podcast here, on his YouTube channel, for me to rematch Vera, he'll have to be on a win streak. It'll have to make sense. I feel like I'm just a different level fighter. That would be like fighting someone backwards. It's none of those things. You can feel you're a different level fighter, but then prove it. You lost. And you wouldn't be fighting backwards because I think he's ranked higher than O'Malley, isn't he? Well, considering O'Malley's not ranked and Vera is number 15... Yeah, he's ranked higher than him. So he is not fighting backwards. But then again, uh, Vera said that he didn't want to fight O'Malley either because he beat him, which I side with Vera on this one. So Sean O'Malley needs to get over this loss, needs to accept it, or he's going to have a rough run in mixed martial arts because it's very rare that fighters only get one loss in their careers. So... He needs to suck this up. I know he's young. Maybe that's what. Maybe that's part of it. But he's not doing himself any favors uh, here by just denying that he lost because he did. And I don't know. Um, he might be one of the worst losers in UFC in, in recent memory. Definitely does not look good. I saw something and it was kind of funny today that, and this is the come on now for the day that Dana White was named the sports person of the year or something because uh, how he handled COVID and how he built the UFC from the ground up. But neither of those things is true. The only reason the UFC succeeded was the one was the Fertitta's uh, well of money that they kept digging back into. Had they cut their losses early, uh, the UFC would have failed. And that has more to do with them stubbornly looking for uh, looking for a, a breaking into the into the sports world, and they found that finally with um, Spike TV and Ultimate Fighter. But that was a long long haul for them, and a lot of money down the crapper. And that money wasn't White's. That money was the Fertitas, and Dana White didn't handle the pandemic very well or, or COVID-19 because his first move was to run from regulation. And then only after ESPN and Disney and the MMA media said, hold up, this doesn't look good. Did he run toward regulation? If he would have had his way, he would have been doing fights, um, with no state oversight on, on what would be territorial, uh, properties and where the government doesn't oversee the, the athletic commission 
And that's what he tried to do. Now, that's not to say that those commissions that run those places are bad. Some of them are good. But they don't have the stamp of approval of the State Athletic Commission. And that's something that we've become accustomed to from the UFC since they allegedly ran toward regulation back under the Fertitta's uh, ownership. So... Once again, the myth here is that Dana White is responsible, solely responsible for the UFC's success. That's not true now. That wasn't true ever. And so time to really stop that myth and, you know, see what's what in reality. But Dana White is not the sports person of the year by a long shot. Not by a long shot. Um, that's all I have for today. And we'll be back tomorrow, I guess. And until then, everyone stay safe.